electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to keep it from losing money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you, put it in perspective. Call me, 1-800-743-CNBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Too much speculation, too little stability in the face of a resurgent pandemic. And that is how you get a meltdown like today. <laughs> Dow plunging 726 points. SB plummeting 1.59%. NASDAQ tumbling 1.06%. A little bit better. Notice that. Now, but it, you know what this was today? It was the end of euphoria, revolt of the buyers mixed with a strong belief that the Delta variant will take away all the upside of the areas of the market that have been making you so much big money. Hence the collapse of the industrials, the transports, the oils, most important, the speculative stocks that have brought so many younger investors into this market. I think rampant speculation is actually one of the great ignored risk factors in this market. Whether you look at the most active stocks on Robinhood or you check Reddit or you examine all the deals that have been floated, there's been a ton of speculation. I don't see many mature senior growth companies coming public or merging with SPACs. It's all startups. It's all companies that aren't making money. Oh, and the Wall Street bets and Reddit names. Guys, get some boomers to help you or a trust fund. You're going to need both before this is through. Let's start with all the IPOs and the new merchandise. I couldn't call it junk, but I'm a kind of like a Gandhi-like gardener. This week, we're supposed to get 19 deals. Okay, that's stupid, ridiculous, and and idiotic, okay? The brokers are asking accounts to sell stock in other holdings so they can participate in these new crummy deals. They're pleading with them, reminding them of all the hot IPOs they've been allowed to participate in before. If money managers don't commit to buying this cycle's dogs, they know they may not get a piece of the next cycle's big winners. Okay, not every single IPO is terrible. I mean, a couple of things come at a decent price I like. Kaltura, I use that on-demand video software. Outbrain, that's helped me make some quarters at uh, the street because it's a pretty good online marketing company. It really does bring in some money, brings in subscriptions. But there are way too many deals. 
especially in already saturated areas. I mean, you got Couchbase. Ooh, a database tech play for application developers. We don't have any of those, do we? Or Gambling.com, which does digital marketing for the gaming industry. Ooh, could use a new one. Or how about Exponential Fitness, a gym chain. Didn't we have one last week? Or Infrastructure Holdings, which has learning management programs. Holy, hallelujah, boy, do we ever not need that. These are all areas we've got too many stocks already. It's the last thing we need are more. That goes doubly for all the small biotechs and analytics platforms. Memo to all you syndicate desks. We know you want to make money for your firms, but you are killing the golden goose. But these IPOs keep coming and coming and coming because they can. The brokers know there's enough money to get everything done, even if it means money managers need to sell good stuff to buy garbage. They need us more than we need them. It won't stop until the buyers simply revolt and tell the syndicate desks, no, thank you. I've always said the two things that can really stop a bull in its tracks, rapid rate hikes from the Federal Reserve and a flood of new stocks in the form of speculative IPOs. And this is definitely a rapidly rising tide sinking all boats. When you include the SPACs, get this, we've had 638 deals this year, 638, worth $217 billion. That is up from just 140 deals worth $47 billion last year at this time. That's insane. I mean, that's just insane. All right, well, so what are the other signs that the speculative euphoria is finally coming to an end? I don't know. Why don't we start with the Mimi stocks? Oh, I'm sorry. That's meme. Now that everybody knows the formula, executives are ready with insider sales the moment these memesters gun up their stocks. And that's what happened to Corsair, the high-end gaming hardware company that got memed to 40 bucks and then fell right back to 30 when, they, when the insiders caught the memesters right and just slammed them over the head with a two-by-four. Never seen a nice bunch of guys get one. We've seen a whole host of these names give up their gains quickly, which tells you that the meme formula no longer has any staying power. It was a good trick while it lasted, but now we are all onto your nonsense. And soon even the SEC and, oh, that's going to be the Southeast Conference. Maybe even the guys in Washington are going to figure out the obvious game. We know that Robinhood, the brokerage for those who think or are young, is coming public in two weeks, just the absolute worst time. We're overwhelmed by stock already, right? We just don't need another fintech, especially not another big one. The Robinhood deal will most likely be set up to win because they're allocating 20 to 35 percent of the shares to individuals who use the platform. But if it breaks price, can you imagine how disastrous that would be? All these people would hate Robinhood. Doesn't help that lots of Robinhood investors love the airlines and cruise lines. You always see them buying them early in the morning. At least they get up early, those jokers. And they're getting wrecked right now. Perhaps the most revolting uh, aspect of this year of speculation is in little stocks that are too small to mention on air, probably because they don't, they're not worth anything. Little nobody stocks that keep seeing these massive spikes in volume so they hit the most active list. This sell-off won't truly end until individual investors realize that this strategy of suckering people into tiny stocks, bagging them, gunning them, and liquid them, and just banging them out as soon as they run, that it's insidious. Again, the SEC needs to crack, you know, a lot on their plate, needs to crack down on this stuff because I think it's basically sophisticated pump and dump scheme. I wish I had subpoena power. Then there's the heart of speculation, cryptocurrency. In retrospect, crypto had a parabolic move that peaked right around when people started talking, uh, taking non-fungible tokens seriously. Who came up with that name? Hey, very much of an emperor's new clothes situation, don't you think? Any bids up there for the NFTs now? You think we'll even remember that acronym in six months? God, the billionaires can Kanye. We got billionaire-itis. Speaking of bids, have you noticed how Bitcoin seems to be hanging by a thread? 
once again a sign that the speculative excess is coming to an end. I like Bitcoin in theory, but I want to see it dragged to lower levels before I consider getting back in like 12000 when I bought it last time. Don't even get me started on stable coins like Tether that are unstable, supposed to be pegged to the dollar, allegedly backed by greenbacks as well as solid commercial paper. But we have no idea what that paper is or who's selling it to them. Uh, Tether. I'm calling it the Achilles heel of crypto. Hey, go read that uh, Homer stuff. It'll really, it's, it's eye-opening. What else? There's a ton of speculation in oil, and without yesterday's OPEC agreement, it could have easily gone $100 a barrel. Now, though, OPEC's up in production, so there was a cascade lower as the longs bailed and all the speculative excess got drained out. The collapse of crude is actually good news for the broader market, not that anybody knows it. It means lower costs for everybody. Plus, at these levels, some of the better oils are too good to ignore. Hey, Chevron with a 5.6% yield. I know it's pronounced Chevron, but I like to call it Chevron. A lot of oils have been huge winners in 2021, and now those gains are being shredded like shredded wheat, which has very few calories. Finally, there are the hyper-growth stocks that traded multiples to sales, not earnings. These are always, they always take a hit when the whole market gets hammered. And after a while, they cause collateral damage to even the strongest growth stocks like Fang plus Microsoft, which is exactly what happened there. When Fang plus Microsoft roll over, that's called a bottom. So what do you do now? I think you watch as the speculators get blown to kingdom come, <laughs> while the pandemic stocks come roaring back and the big industrials try to bottom. But don't be sucked in by all these strategists calling for a 10 to 20 percent decline. We've already seen those declines. Open your eyes. I think they're the best ones to buy. The rails, the aerospace play, other than Boeing, which I expect to have a bad quarter, although down here starting for 50 points. I've been saying that. And the infrastructure stocks all make tons of sense down here because, well, they're down big. Hey, you see IBM reported good quarter to close? Worth looking at. Finally, pick a bank, will you? They've been crushed and they had good earnings. The banks are hostage to the ever-roaring tenure. Uh, but especially, the, eventually, the tenure is going to reverse itself. I mean, business is pretty good in this country. And start going down uh, in price when the Delta variant is con- if the Delta variant is conquered. I have a good list coming up later in the show. Uh, the anti-vaxxers are winning right now. Hey, congratulations. Bottom line. This is a sell-off that's hitting the most speculative assets the hardest, along with, finally, the stalwarts in Fang plus Microsoft. Once the speculators are blown out, the apes, whatever they call themselves, the people who together, united, will never be defeated, which is actually what the Trotskyites always said. Uh, actually, they said the well, they, people united. Well, never mind. And the stocks that are already down huge start rallying. Then we can find a tradable bottom. We're close, but the speculators haven't been fully crushed yet and ground down like nubs. I know I got to shine my shoes. These tortured souls can either leave gracefully now or get margined out when things really turn against them. That's when the pain stops. That's when Toto comes into play. Don't know Toto? Turn off the oxygen. Toto. Ben in Tennessee. Ben. Booyah, Dr. Booyah. Thank you for all you do for us, home gamers. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller, and Action Alert Plus member. There you go. Big meeting Wednesday. I might say good things about the meeting. I'll be honest. Uh, My question for you is about a potential reopening play. Since rental car companies are having trouble buying new cars after they sold their fleets in 2020, they've raised the rental car prices a ton. More and more people are choosing ride share instead of rent a car when they travel. Their food delivery service is also also at an all-time high. I'm wondering what are your thoughts on Uber? I'm down a little. Uber has a problem. Not enough drivers. Absolutely, I love your theory. I think it's terrific. But they need more drivers or autonomous cars, and we don't have those yet. We just don't have them. I want to go to Robin Hood. Robin in Maryland. Robin. Jim, listen, I bought Roku in 2017 
For $2,100, I bought 50 shares. Now worth over 20 grand. Should I hold on to it? Roku, you take your you take what you put in right now. Go buy yourself two cashmere sweaters. Let the arrest run. You're a winner. I like winners. You're obviously not a memester. Don't forget, younger investors, find a boomer to help you out. Or else you're out. Have patience. Once the speculators are blown out, especially the apes, whoever the heck they are, and the stocks are down. Then we're going to get a tradable bottom. And by the way, I didn't mean any of that stuff about the apes. They're nice. Okay, I'm everybody tonight. With stocks falling aggressively today, I'm I one player that managed to stay in the green. I'll reveal the name when I sit down with the CEO. Oh, and also the guy who started. And then it was the worst day for the Dow since October. But we're still in the middle innings of earnings season, so why don't we just figure out what banks are doing well? And worries about the Delta variant are wreaking havoc on the economy. But hey, I got a regional player, uh, First Horizon, doesn't seem to hurt him that much. I'm going to talk with the CEO. So I urge you to stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call. At 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. We are trying to make sense of things for you here tonight in the face of this incredibly difficult but panicky tape. I like to buy hysteria, not sell it. I like to buy panic not sell it. We don't advocate panic because it's not a strategy. There are two kinds of companies in the blast zone. The ones that are at risk and the ones that are really at risk. What bounces best? That's what you must be thinking about at this point. What a day. We have your back and we'll get through this together. Don't panic. Stick with Kramer. And let's get through it together. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching 
ranking engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On a hideous day for the averages, thanks to the resurgent pandemic, the few stocks that managed to rally were almost all stay-at-home plays, the COVID winners from last year. That includes the original Bark Company, which came public several weeks ago by merging with a SPAC. This is the company behind Bark Box, the subscription service that sends dog owners a monthly box of toys and treats for their pets, but now does much more. When the SPAC behind this one, Northern Star Acquisition, announced the Bark deal late last year, the stock surged to just under 20 bucks. But then the whole SPAC cohort rolled over. So even when the deal closed, Bark continued to sink. It dropped to 8 bucks at its lows last week. This morning, it looked like Bark was going to have another down day, but then the stock rebounded thanks to the stay-at-home rally, closing up nearly 5%. So could this be an excellent time to buy a digital dog toy service that also is now involved with food and health. Let's take a closer look with Matt Meeker, the co-founder and executive chairman of the original Bar Company, and also with my niche, I'm going to get this right, Joe Nasia, the CEO. Gentlemen, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for having us. All right. So, Matt, I want to just start with you because people get ideas in their head sometimes because they have something and there's some nothing for them. You had a gigantic 140-pound Great Dane named Hugo. Was there anything for Hugo in the pet stores? You see him right here, right over my shoulder. That's him. Uh, and no, especially in New York City. New York City has all those small dogs that fit in purses, and those are great dogs too, but Hugo was very underserved in New York. And what, what I learned from that was that all of our dogs are really and unique and special, and they have unique special needs, like I'm sure NVIDIA has very special needs, and they all deserve to be served as individuals. So that's what Bark does. Boy, I'll tell you, yeah, NVIDIA was, NVIDIA just, just won't stop eating papers, driving me absolutely crazy. Okay, Manish, I want to ask you, uh, because of your background, the digital background, how do you scale uh, uh, personal personalities? In other words, can personality dogs be scaled? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, look, the Bark Foundation is basically about high-level personalization with high-touch service, right? So for example, I think I saw you tweet a picture of Marley where just destroyed a toy, right? So we learn that data. When we talk to you, understand that data. We understand the cohort so that we can tailor not just the toys, but also dental when you need them, the food elements when you need them. They can adapt and grow. So we have a very strong machine learning base, which is data-oriented, plus powered by our happy team, which is one of the best customer service teams that you'll come across when you talk to them. You know, Manish, I, I saw, I looked at the, the churn figures, and they're just south of six, which means basically you almost have to get everything. You, you, you're losing a huge number per year. Um, and I was wondering whether you're not hurting yourself by also being in all these different outlets, because subscriptions where the money is. So subscription is definitely the core business, right? So but look at Bark, if you work backwards from our mission, it's to serve all dogs, all dog parents. You can buy us a Target for $7. You can be at Costco. You'll be at Petco, PetSmart. But yes, when you come to our ecosystem, you know, we have fun, food, home, and health, the four categories. 
And what Matt has done a tremendous job at, like he raised $57 million over the last eight years. We are $378 million that we actually announced for the last fiscal year. As we're scaling food, we're seeing our AOV go up. As we're scaling our cross-sell upsell, you know, for example, think you're a Philly fan, right? So mm-hmm. if we are able to understand that and pop up 76ers, Eagles, so you cross-sell and upsell, <laughs> you're barely scratching the surface on that. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, that's how I view my door. I want, I want them to wear Philadelphia stuff. I can't help that. Okay, so Matt, when I look at the competition and I see, I mean, we're, you know, we're big into Chewy and we do a, anything that is personal and small scale, we do for the dogs. But I wonder, Matt, if you're not going to get a tailwind, it's a little cynical, but a tailwind from the Delta COVID wave. Oh, we, we very well might. Uh, I, I think we benefited certainly last year when a lot of new dogs came into the home and, and those became new customers for us. But when COVID ends or ended, the dogs don't go back. They don't go back to the shelters. Those are family members now. And so what we've seen is our, our most recent quarter, the first calendar quarter of this year, fastest growing quarter that we've had in over, well, a very, very long time, certainly the fastest growing quarter of COVID. So we are accelerating. Uh, If more dogs come into the home because of Delta, and personally, I hope it goes the other way, but if more dogs come into the home because of that, we're ready to serve them and keep that acceleration going. Okay. So Manish, uh, when I look at the close to EBITDA positive that you were, I say, wow, they can do it. But now I see you want to go into a growth mode, which means you have to spend more money. Uh, is there a way to be able to be in growth mode and not spend as much money, let's say, two years from now? Yeah, so the way we're approaching that, Jim, is we're poised for growth, right? So as you think about accelerating food, I'll take food as an example. It's a 30 to 40 billion TAM, 75% of that is kibble, completely non-personalized. The personalization right now in the industry is you slap a label for, you know, youth, adult, and senior. Personalization mm-hmm. for us means the hue example that Matt talked about, you know, as a dog grows, or for Marley as a dog grows in NVIDIA, understanding and serving them. We believe that's exactly where we need to get the investments in. So we're very encouraged by the results, and that's where we focus on. But yes, in the future, absolutely. We believe in disciplined growth. All right. Now, we got, look, we're hung up on Chewy. Why? Because they painted pictures of Marley and NVIDIA. And, you know, they're up on our walls, right? And we can't think, well, hold it. How can we use anybody other than Chewy? Look at the pictures. What can you do like that? Because it's stark when you go into our house. You see the pictures and you say, yeah, Chewy. We love Chewy. I mean, we send, we send those pictures out as well. So we're happy to send pictures, and you can judge which pictures are better. Well, we already did, Bart. Uh, we actually <laughs> have used you as a pre- – well, I know this sounds silly to anybody who doesn't have a dog, but we bought Marley a, a, a subscription because we thought he'd be happy by the box. Of course, he ate the box, but that's yes. okay, right? I mean, they there, love boxes. More- more value in that for you. you. You get the toys and the box for free. We throw in the box for free for a toy. Well, my daughter no, bought we- it. It's a very thoughtful product that you guys have. And I can't see how you can miss yeah. if people love their dogs. You know what I mean? That, that's just it. And there's 63 million households of people who love their dogs and are obsessed with them like you are, like I am, Manish. And we are today serving 1.8 million. That means... In, for me, 61 million households that we have to get to, show them how great our products are, how specific they are to their dogs, how well we listen, and then feed them better, take care of their teeth better, 
make sure their mental health is great. So there's a lot of work left to do. Huge amount of growth in front of us. Well, I got to thank you guys what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I'm personally, this is a big issue for for me and for you guys. I know that's the case. Matt Meeker and my niece, Jonasia, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. It was really great to talk to you and what you're doing for our pets. Thanks, Thanks for having me. All right, guys, look, I just think that dogs became uh, part of your family during COVID. I wanted to think the pandemic was over. That's clearly not true. But boy, do we. Oh, hold it just a sec. Who else? Is anyone else's dog able to get into NVIDIA World Headquarters? Well, you know what? I've got it all. Man, money's back in the break. Coming up, borrow at 3%, lend at 6%, and catch mad money 100% of the time. Kramer deposits some knowledge into your safety deposit box. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Sell, 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 sell. The whole market's getting killed by worries about the Delta variant wrecking the economy. But we're still in the middle of earnings season. Every quarter, we try to catch up with the major banks after they all reported. Remember, they all report at one time. Because these companies have tremendous insight into the broader economy and because they're very hard to discern among each other. So last week, we heard from J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, and Morgan Stanley. In general, they delivered better than expected numbers, but most of their stocks sold off in response, partially foreshadowing today's grim action. And it only got worse or better to potential buyers today. Before we get into the quarters, though, let me, let me set the scene for you. Going into earnings season, the major banks were all up substantially for the year, which matters. Wells Fargo's been the best performer, even though it's the worst operator in the group, because it's a textbook turnaround story, cheap stock, and that's why we own it for the Charitable Trust, which you can follow by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. I'll be talking about it at a conference call on Wednesday. Meanwhile, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley have had a nice year because they're investment banks. They've had booming IPO and M&A businesses, even as their trading divisions have fallen off in recent months, which is uh, not so great for Goldman, but Morgan Stanley can handle it. As for the big money center banks, there's been a lot of variation. Heading into last week, Wells was up 45% for the year. Citigroup had only gained 11%. That's important. Let's talk quarters. Most of the banks sold off in response, but a couple of them managed to rally. We're going to take them in descending order post-earnings performance. That means we have to start with Wells Fargo, which jumped 4% after reported on Wednesday. Wells delivered a massive earning, uh, sales and earnings beat. Oh, but that headline number is a little misleading because they got a major boost from some one-off items, like a $1.6 billion reserve release and a much higher than usual gain from their private equity investments. Within the core business, uh, you know, well, what do we typically care about is net interest income, the money they make off the difference between what you pay for your deposits and what they collect in interest. Wells actually missed net interest income expectations, and they had lower year-over-year loan balances. Well, then what the heck did it go up for? 
It's because Wells Fargo is graded on a curve. Remember a curve in school? Everybody knows this is a turnaround story. Rather than focusing on the negatives, Wells gets tons of credit for any positive developments. And this time there were several. First, the bank's efficiency ratio, the ratio of overhead expenses to revenue, came in at 66%. And we're looking for 76%, which tells you that CEO Charlie Scharf has done a great job of cutting costs. I think he's just getting started. Second, management said they can get to a sustainable core return on average tangible common equity of 10% by the end of next year, possibly getting to mid-teens over the long run. And that is very encouraging. That would become mid-teens is a growth stock, all right? However, Wells Fargo didn't really start running until the conference call when they said they're going to buy back even more than the previously announced $18 billion worth of stock over the next four quarters. That matters. We were all kind of thinking, 18, maybe? Aren't they going to do 20? Now, look, 18 is already 10% of the share count. Remember, the, the banks haven't been able to repurchase large volumes of stock since the financial crisis. But the Fed finally gave them permission, and a massive buyback is a game changer. I think the gains can continue as long as the turnaround keeps working, although there will be some near-term turbulence. This is the one to buy, though, after today's brutal correction. I'm telling you, if you can get this at $43 or below, pounce. Next up, Morgan Stanley. Rallied a little bit after it reported on Thursday. This was a flat-out excellent quarter. CEO James Gorman has been on a mission to transform his investment bank from an episodic business that varies wildly from quarter to quarter into a more stable business with repeatable results. And that's why he bought both E-Trade and Eaton Vance. But this time, Gorman showed us that even the safer, more dependable Morgan Stanley can make a fortune when business is booming, because this quarter they were firing on all cylinders. Still one more reason why we own Morgan Stanley for the travel trips. Perhaps more important, their wealth management, investment management businesses saw a combined $250 billion worth of inflows. That's how you grade this company, by the way, inflows over the first six months of the year, massively boosting their assets under management. This is now the most expensive bank stock, but that's for good reason, because it's close to it's as close to risk free as you can get with a large bank. It's more of a fee generator. And that's why when it was down today, boom, trust bought some. Third, this is the toughest one. It's Goldman Sachs. It sold off a bit in response to one of the greatest quarters I've come across. Goldman's headline numbers were jaw dropping. They earned $15 per share. Wall Street was only looking for 10. But much of that beat came from big gains on equity investments, and investors really don't care about that because it's one-off. Although I've got to tell you, they seem to have a one-off every quarter, which to me empirically means that they're, they're not one-offs. They're just good. Nearly every major business came in better for Goldman, even fixed income, currency, commodities trading, which has been a point of weakness for the whole industry. So what was the problem? Well, it's simple. Goldman's investment banking had its second best quarter ever. But when was the best one? The first quarter. In other words, it looks like Goldman peaked in the first three months of the year. I'm not sure that's actually the case. They had some very positive things to say about their backlog on the conference call. But it's the impression Wall Street came away with. Now that the Delta variant is everyone worried that the whole economy has peaked, that lends credence to the peak investment banking thesis. However, Goldman's ridiculously cheap, trading at less than seven times earnings. I also thought that this new antitrust uh, division uh, and view from uh, President Biden could hurt them because they're a great M&A advisor. Now, here is the one that I regard as just a quandary, Citigroup. It's another turnaround story like Wells Fargo, but unlike Wells, it hasn't, it hasn't given us enough reason to believe that the turn is real. City's headline numbers were a little better than expected, but without a big reserve release, they would have been disappointing. Right now, the company's a real problem controlling its expenses, and, and that's only going to get worse as the year unfolds as they raise their expense forecast for 2021. That's not what people want. City's chief virtue is that it's still pretty cheap, but cheap stocks can always get cheaper as people own the steals. My advice to new CEO, Jane Fraser: this is the perfect time to buy up lots of stock now that it's so inexpensive and then communicate your turnaround plan to the shareholders after. Next up, uh, the one everybody loves, okay? That makes it really difficult, J.P. Morgan. 
Uh, the, the problem with this one, in a nutshell, is that J.P. Morgan's a straight-A student, and it just reported a, an A quarter. The big source of strength came from their episodic businesses, while the more consistent ones like asset management weren't as strong. And that's why I think the stock rolled over. Now, I have tremendous confidence in Jamie Dimon and his team, but this is a tough market for the banks and doesn't help when the best operator stumbles. I saw it down big today and I said, ah, I'd still rather buy Morgan Stanley and Wells. And finally, there's one that a lot of people didn't like, but I got a, a thesis on it. It's Bank of America. They reported big earnings beat, once again, driven by a huge reserve release. Seeing that pattern, sales coming in weaker than expected. Worst Bank of America's most important business, consumer and business lending, it missed too, as in its global markets division. Worst of all, the dead interest margin. The key metric for the financials came in weaker than expected too, although I think it's going to be a floor. Bank of America is the most sensitive to interest rates. So the recent collapse in bond yields makes things a lot more difficult for them. On top of that, we've got concerns about rising expenses here. All that said, it's the one to buy hand over fist if you really believe the Fed's going to raise interest rates anytime soon. And remember, that was the thesis 10 days ago. Here's the bottom line. Some of the banks have compelling stories here. I think Wells Fargo and Morgan Stanley tell the best stories. But after today's meltdown, you got to worry that there may be just the best houses in a dangerous neighborhood. Hey, I want to go to Anthony, Illinois, please. Anthony. Hi, Jim. Hi, Anthony. What's uh, up? I, I own shares in Upstart Holdings, and I'd like your opinion whether to buy, sell, or hold Upstart. The Goldman Sachs uh, buy recommendation. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. The Goldman Sachs buy recommendation last week was so compelling that I felt, you know what, I've got to do a piece about Upstart. That's how good UPST is. And I think the short's going to be dead wrong. I wish the mean people would pick on some good stuff. Upstart's one they should pick on, not that they're going to listen to me. Although I think that I'm converting them by endlessly trashing them. Wells Fargo and Morgan Stanley have compelling stories, but at the end of the day, this is a tough market for this group because of, yes, interest rates. Hey, we've got a lot of mad money ahead. Bond yields are dropping this market and dragging banks with them, as I just told you. But could the decline of the group be a buying opportunity for a regional player that isn't trapped like this? FHN, First Horizon. Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO. Areas booming. Then I'm pointing out the problem with peaks and highlighting the areas in the market that have caught my eye. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Just over a year ago, First Horizon, the Tennessee-based regional bank, merged with Louisiana's Iberia Bank. And for the next 10 months, the stock was unstoppable, rallying from 8 bucks and change to $19.45 at its peak in early June. But over the past six weeks, all the financials have been hammered, uh, courtesy, of course, of plummeting long-term interest rates, resurgent COVID worries caused by that Delta variant. Just as important when First Horizon reported last Friday, the headline numbers came in better than expected. But when some looked underneath, they saw an increasingly challenging environment for the banks, like we mentioned earlier. So is this stock worth buying on today's market-wide meltdown, or do we need to be careful? Let's check in with Brian Jordan. He's the president and CEO of First Horizon Corp. to learn more about the quarter and the outlook. Mr. Jordan, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure, Brian. I've got to tell you, I'm a mixed emotion about First Horizon. I thought it was a great quarter, and what I care about is loan growth. And you went over and over again that loan growth is good. Some of these analysts, I'm quoting here, Raymond James analysts, saying that you may have another step down on the income outlook. I'm trying to jive this notion of what the income outlook looks like versus loan growth, because the latter is more important to own a bank for. Yeah, absolutely. 
We've got two forces that are sort of working against the banking sector right now. One is obviously low rates, and the other is, is the absence of strong loan growth in this economy. It's partially a function of the significant amount of excess cash or liquidity that's sitting in the system. And it is really, a, a, I'd say, a little bit about the, the reluctance or the hesitancy to continue to, to invest or to grow as the pace of the recovery is being affected by the Delta variant and things of that nature, as well as some of the uncertainty around fiscal policy, what's going to happen to returns and tax rates, capital gains rates, things of that nature. As we look at our business, we're seeing strengthening loan pipelines. May and June continued to strengthen from the first part of the year. We are very optimistic about later this year seeing loan growth. But ex a lot of excess liquidity in the system has yeah. resulted in a lot of loan payoffs. And, and that's driving a lot of what we're seeing today is sort of a moving sideways. And that also is this mortgage warehouse business that people have really kind of turned against in the stock market, whether it be Rocket or UWM. I mean, people just decide that business is over. Is it really over? I don't think it's over. In fact, the 10-year Treasury taking another leg down like it has today is, is probably going to spur more refinance activity. In the second quarter, 40% of our volume in the mortgage warehouse business was refinance activity. And we think we're going to see a, a good bit of refinance activity and purchase money activity in the back half of this year. In fact, our outlook is, is to your point earlier, loan growth is going to be bolstered by what we see in developing in our mortgage warehouse business which is for higher balances. One of the things that was upsetting for me on the call was that you bought this great bank, Iberia Bank. It never even came up. I mean, honestly, once you got down there, didn't you discover Louisiana was a pretty great state for lending? Yes. In fact, if you, if you look at our pipelines at the end of, of June, 1st of July, Louisiana is one of our strongest states, Texas, Louisiana, South Florida, Atlanta, it, we're seeing very good growth opportunities in the markets and uh, as a result of the merger. And so we're very, very optimistic about what the merger will bring to us. And the other thing that, that sort of got lost in the call, we didn't get a lot of discussion around, is we've got a pretty strong tailwind in terms of uh, additional cost savings or expense efficiencies to come. We're at about, call it, $92 million annual run rate in the second quarter all the way to $200 million by this time next year. And we've picked up already $20 million of annualized revenue synergies, and we think that's just a fraction of what we'll get. So we see plenty of tailwind, and the merger of equals with Iberia Bank is going to be a big driver, we think, of the next, call it, six to eight quarters. People didn't seem to care. You're moving in, uh, into an outfit that I really like, Encino. I mean, to me, it's the way that you speed up everything. Iberia Bank was a great customer, and you're going that way. Will that lead to considerable savings ultimately? Yes, I, th I think it will do two things. It will lead to savings, but more importantly, it will give us a better sense of how our workflow is, is processing. It will give us a better sense of where there are bottlenecks in our systems. So it'll be better service for our customers, it'll be faster service for our customers, and ultimately it'll be lower cost. So there, there's a lot of technology, and Sino is the first real example of it, but there are other real examples where we'll make investments in technology, we're doing it in this merger integration, that will give us a much more efficient system in the future and a better service and product set for our customers. Now, are, are you still seeing Tennessee... Uh 
people escaping from the high tax states like New York, New Jersey? Yes, Tennessee is, is still benefiting, just like Florida and Georgia, and we're, we're seeing an influx of people into the South. It's been very, very positive, and we will continue to see that. Middle Tennessee is a perfect example. You see a, a huge number of relocations there in just the last 12 to 15 months. We think that the attractive policies, or particularly around right-to-work, taxation, et cetera, are going to be really, really positive for our 12-state footprint. Yeah, I mean, I think that people forget that you must have a real influx into your area because we see uh, the outflow. And these are people, what, they need to do a lot, right? they got to buy a home. Maybe they buy another home. They tend to be wealthier people. They're good customers, correct? That's correct. You're seeing a lot of good customers. They do tend to be wealthier. You're seeing a number of businesses come along. I think it's going to be very, very positive. When, when we announced our merger, Jim, we were looking at something like 2 to 2.5% faster household growth rate than the U.S. average as a whole, and that was in November of 2019. That number, in my view, is going to be significantly higher because of the demographic shifts that you're talking about. Yeah, that's why I think that you know, I've been behind your bank the whole way. It has to do with demographic and being well run. To Brian Jordan, President and CEO of First Horizon FHN, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. People did not understand on this conference call that there is just a remarkable amount of new business that's going to be picked up in states that are growing. You heard, you heard Brian, it's Louisiana. It's, te- it's Texas. It's South Florida. It's also Alabama. These are great states to invest in. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time! It's time for the lightning round. Are you ready? Eat daddy. Time for the lightning round. Chris, I'm going to start with Ryan in Mississippi. Ryan. What's up, Professor Kramer? How much? How about you, Chief? Uh, nothing much. Got a quick shout out to my financial advisor, Woody Odom. Um, I called you back in May about a stock, and you told me I had horse sense. And Stents, it has run up about $10 a share, and in the past week or so, it has just dropped like a rock. My stock is Academy Sports and Outdoors. Yeah, I'm telling you, I still like it. I've got to tell you, they reported about a whole bunch of good lines. People expected even bigger lines. Give me a break. I'm a buyer. Campbell in Delaware. Campbell. Yo, Jimmy Chill. Let's go, birds. You betcha. Come on. We got a good receiver. What's going on? Hey. So as uh, we approach these uh, quarter two earnings reports, what are your thoughts on Sherwin-Williams stock? Raw costs are now too high. I am concerned. I no longer think that you can buy this stock until we see the raw costs come down. And then I will feel better. David in New York. David. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. What's going on? Uh, I don't know. Just hanging out, growing a lot of cucumbers, then making pickles. What's up with you? Uh, that's awesome. Uh, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm calling today about uh, stock SoFi. I think SoFi should be done going down soon. I mean, stock stop, stop at zero. I mean, this thing has just been a nightmare. And Anthony knows better than that. It's at 15 bucks. I'm a buyer at the 14 level. How's that? I'm not done. I'm going to Rick in Illinois. Rick. Hey, Big Jim. Uh, Booyah from Chi-Town. Oh, yeah, I got absolutely. A quick, my call. Okay. 
quick question on GE. Was acquired 2004, 2000 shares at 29 bucks. It's now between, you know, 12, 13, and 8 to 1 reverse split. Stock splits coming up. I don't care where a stock came from. I care where it's going to. I think GE's okay. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's bad. It's just okay. And I say that because there's a lot of good businesses and some real bad ones. Cameron in Colorado. Cameron. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Yo. Hey, I got a question for you. I uh, picked up this stock right before Memorial Day, uh, hoping to be part of the reopening play. And since then, it has unfortunately just gone down. Uh, so I was wanting to get your opinion on if this is a buy opportunity or a cut and run opportunity. I'm asking about Cisco. Which kind? The ticker uh, symbol SYY, the food distribution. Oh man, that is such an opening stock, and you get, you got a downer there. Now the good news is the guy who runs it is real strong. The bad news is is that the restaurant business is going to take a little uh, header here. So I'm going to say no to that right now. And that, ladies and gentlemen, who's the lightning round? The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, no peeking. Kramer pulls no punches on a buzzword that could portend portfolio problems. Next. Today we need to talk about one of the most brutal terms in the stock lexicon, peak. Peak means you're too late. Peak means it's over. Peak means sell now or forever hold your peace because it's only going to get worse from here. And that was today's theme. I don't like the traffic in peak talk. I don't even want to get near it. For my charitable trust, where I make no money and give away all the capital gains to charity, I try to steer clear of anything that looks like it could peak anytime soon. This month, though, we've seen so many peaks that it's, frankly, a bit scary. It's like the Adirondack high peak region. Let me reel them down. These are all from the biggest decliners in the S&P 500 and NASDAQ for the last quarter. First peak, China. When you see the rollover in Pinduoduo, which is the second-rate Chinese Amazon, or Baidu, the second-rate Chinese Google, that suggests we're done with China as an investment thesis. When the Communist Party decided to crush the American shareholders of Didi Global, letting it come public here, then banning it from its app stores a few days later, that was the last straw. America had been a fantastic place for Chinese businesses to rip off unsuspecting investors. But after the Didi fiasco, nobody wants to be the next mark. Chinese stocks that trade here are now considered guilty until proven innocent. Unfortunately, the brokers won't stop pushing low-quality IPOs from China. It's too much easy money for them to make. They'll engineer the next few so that they pop. But at this point, only a fool would trust the People's Republic of China with their money. Somebody must have reminded Chairman, Chairman Xi that, well, that his country is supposed to be communist because he keeps going after big business. Ah, the communists, what a bummer. Second peak, semiconductors. Holy cow, the Taiwan semi-conference call made it clear that the chip shortage is over. That's why AMD, Micron, Microchip, Applied Materials, KLA all got hit hard this morning. I, I, I got to tell you, they, they did rebound dramatically off their lows. Uh, don't even get me started on NVIDIA, which opened weak and then went on to close up 33.41%. But you know, these, these stocks have been hit forever. 
It, it does seem like it. They've been awful. So now they're starting to bounce. That's the way it works. Full disclosure, we own NVIDIA and AMD for the Travel Trust. That said, I think Taiwan Semi has it wrong about the chip shortage. It's not over. We're merely looking at a pause in growth. There's tremendous demand for these chips, but Wall Street got too bulled up. You've got my blessing to pick one. Buy it right here. I prefer AMD at this moment because I think Intel screwed up royally with its reported decision to buy Global Foundries, a chip manufacturer that competes with Taiwan Semi. If that happens, I wonder if Taiwan Semi will simply cancel Intel's orders. It would be a splashy but ill-advised move by Pat Gelsinger. Third peak, oil down 8% today. I warned you about this last Tuesday when we highlighted Carly Garner's chart work that suggested crude was about to roll over, and I said, this is the top? The whole group's now collapsing. Marathon, Occidental, Diamondback, the wrong fang, not to mention an oil services giant like Halliburton's got recommended today. These declines signal the end of the oil rally, something that was inevitable after this weekend's OPEC plus agreement. I doubt there'll be a huge decline in crude because we're basically at equilibrium here, considering the strength of the global economy. However, I think OPEC has found their ceiling. They don't want oil going over 70 because at that point, American producers start pumping furiously in the Permian Basin. Finally, there's the apparent peak in leisure and entertainment, dragged down by the cruise lines, casinos and even Disney. This one's obviously about the new COVID variant. We're scared of the pandemic's Delta force. On average, one person with Delta variant infects eight to nine others. I don't like those odds. We know we're lucky that it's only making most people increasingly sick, not killing them. Uh, The worry is that once the outbreak gets out of control, there'll be more and more breakthrough infections where people who've been vaccinated get sick, which feels increasingly likely given that vast swaths of the country have refused to get vaccinated. Thanks, buddies. Honestly, it feels like our whole country's been taken hostage by these anti-vaxxers. Let me make it crystal clear. You either get vaccinated or you get COVID. Not a place to speculate. I mean, I got to tell you, vaccinated or COVID. It also means people won't be traveling as much just when oil supply is increasing. The breakdown in travel, entertainment and the oils. My judgment. There are peaks and then there are valleys and then peaks again. I think the semis have the best chance of climbing back, but the travel, leisure and oil stocks could be headed for a real crevasse, a very big valley. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.